In 2003, a team of archaeologists were digging in Cyprus. Cyprus is known in mythology as the home of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, known for her prowess in the seductive arts. And they set out along the south side of this hill. And on the side of the hill, they started uncovering this really large sort of uh, industrial site from, I think it was 1850 or something like that, BCE. And in this industrial site, they found remnants of all these different kinds of production, olive oil production, copper production, and then attached to the olive oil production, a perfume creation facility. That is Saskia Wilson-Brown. She's the founder of the Institute of Art and Olfaction. It's a nonprofit she started to help expand access and education around scent. So what they were seeing were jars and uh, accoutrements, you know, different things that people would have used at the time to make perfume, like amphora, um, bottles, basins, pitchers, stuff like that. So this connection to Aphrodite and scent, which, you know, is, is supported in Greek mythology and, and, and aphrodisiacs and different practices, I think that's what's really cool about this particular find is, is that connection. I'm Dylan Therese, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous smells. Specific smells have been linked to geographies, cultures, mythologies for for thousands of years. And today we talk to Saskia about fragrance, about power, about the relationship between those two. And along the way, we get the gossip on what Napoleon smelled like and talk about how constipated whales became a part of the perfume industry. All of that after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Smell is arguably the oldest biological sense there is. And there is just this huge part of the human brain dedicated to processing it. You look back at history, and its significance becomes obvious. Our desire to manipulate smell 
is nearly as ancient as people are themselves. We have been spritzing ourselves with various smelling fragrances for thousands of years. Saskia founded the Institute of Art and Olfaction, in large part because she was fascinated and a little confused by the fact that the craft of perfumery had become effectively inaccessible to the normal person. That despite this long, rich, multicultural history around fragrance, today, most of us really only engage with it in a very specific commercial way. We buy a perfume. We spray Febreze. So through her institute, Saskia wants to give people the space, the tools, the skills to start playing around with scent again, to build their own personal relationship with fragrance. So first, I was interested to know more about Saskia's own relationship with scent. I know sometimes people have these memories that are very deep related to smell. I'm curious if, if you have those or it's hard oh, yeah. to kind I mean, of... For yeah. sure. I think oh, we all do, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a very distinct memory of... Um, it's always hard to verbalize, but... Uh, you know, I was raised between France and the U.S. In the south of France, there's... Um, I, was, I was in a field with a friend, and we had, she had just washed her hair with beer because she was a brunette. It was supposed to make her hair look, but I don't know. Anyway, so there's this sort of memory of sitting in this field on a bale of hay. How rustic, right? And the green grass. And, you know, it's in the south of France near the Mediterranean. So there's this sort of air, ocean air. And the, the beer drying on Valerie's hair. It's a very specific combination of things that no one else could probably relate to. But, but that's the nature of scent memories is they're hyper-personal. And yet they're also sort of weirdly timeless and shared, you know, like mm. we all have ours, you know. What's yours, Dylan? I'm curious. What will happen to me is if you ask me to talk about my sense of smell, I find myself completely at a loss of words. I can't yeah. really identify anything. And then I will walk into a place and I will smell something and I will go, oh my God, that is so unbelievably familiar or it will kind mm -hmm. of create an emotional sense. But I have never managed to do a good job of connecting that with, with, with language. With words. So, so yeah. most of my kind of deep smells are probably related to food. And then the normal like boring, like the earth after a, a rain or, a rain, or you know, whatever yeah, this, yeah, kind of, totally. this kind of, whatever the air, the ozone smell before a thunderstorm I, yeah. is like a, a thing that I love. Anyway. Um, well, these are things everyone shares. I mean, you're, yeah. you're definitely, I mean, it, it, they're not boring. They're primal. You yeah. know what I mean? They're important. They're, they're part of our very humanity. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool that those things are so um, embedded in our psyche. What is it about smell that makes it hard to put into words? There's a couple answers, I think. One is just simple training, like, uh, you know, especially in the U.S., we're not trained to just sit down and really observe what we're smelling and discuss it. And then um, it's also like a strong emotion. Like, you know, you say, oh, I love you. That doesn't mean anything. You know, I mean, these these very profound human experiences often don't translate to, to language uh, very easily. So like a strong emotion, smell, you often end up getting into this sort of poetic language that is really quite beautiful, but actually super imprecise when it comes to actually describing the experience, you know? So I will say that there is a very precise language to smell, and that language is the chemical language. Mm. So there is precise language. It's just not a language that we all share. It's like Esperanto, you know, like mm -hmm. 10 people in the world know it. 
Well, okay, so let's kind of reset here and and get a little bit into kind of the history of perfume. Uh, so obviously humanity and, and fragrance go way back. What are some of the earliest known origins and uses of, of scent? Um, so scent has been used in human expression, you know, for millennia. It's been used in sort of several realms. So, so religion, the worship of our, our deities. And you see this across different cultures, that the idea that scent is a way of communicating with, with our gods because it's, it's non-corporal, like the gods, you know. You get scent used in the context of beauty and seduction, um, still today, you know, that that's something that you sort of see across time, the idea that scents can be used to um, entice, which also gets into this interesting sort of side note of sort of perceptions of women uh, mm. and witchcraft and the idea that scent is like a trickster. It's a feminine wile, you know, that, that <laughs> women can use to dissimulate their foulness. Obviously, there are colognes and men use scent, but I still tend to think of scent as heavily feminine associated. I'm curious if there are counterexamples of that in history. Oh. I just don't know. Bazillion. I mean, ah. according to the to the Greeks, who are the ones who wrote, you know, the, the extant texts about the Persians, the ancient Persian kings, you know, were, were heavily scented. And they had, you know, scent in their beards, and it was sort of a symbol of masculinity. And, and you know, there's examples. Louis XIV, you know, in France, mm. heavily scented. Uh, it was the glory of France. So there's definitely examples contrary to that. But in Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, scent tends to be associated with f- femininity and, and not always uh, in a good way. And this, you know, you can trace this back to the early Christians and sort of how they viewed um, people like Cleopatra. Or Aphrodite, you know, these sort of pre-Christian female figures that in Christian theology were, were sort of slowly associated with negative figures like Mary Magdalene or, or even demons. So it runs deep and it's pretty fascinating because it lives on today, you know. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, I think, Louis XIV and, and these Persian kings. There does seem to be a, a connection with scent and status and power <laughs> or scent as a projection of, of something or other. Has that always been true? Where did this kind of connection between scent and status and power arise? So this is literally the topic of my PhD. So you should be able to summarize it in a couple sentences, right? No problem. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> well, okay. So scent has had a connection to power for a very long time. And a a lot of that, you know, really had to do with the fact that these materials were imported from far away. So powerful people could access these imported expensive materials and non-powerful people could not. Certainly in like, for instance, the ancient Roman cultures, you, you definitely see this idea of like Emperor Nero, you know, famously scented, up to Napoleon famously scented. A lot of it's a little bit mythology, but but definitely you have characters in history who have used scent for that very reason. Hang on, how did Napoleon smell? <laughs> well, they say that he bathed in uh, Eau de Cologne, but it's hard to get to the truth behind these stories sometimes. So sometimes I'm just like, it's a great story, let's pretend it's true, yeah, even if yeah. it isn't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But All also right. Cleopatra, you know. Uh-huh. Did Cleopatra have a specific scent associated with her? Well, according to Shakespeare, who of course knew her personally, uh, <laughs> she she uh, she was very aromatic, and that was part of her seductive trickery and how she got Mark Antony and 
But you, again, you get into the sort of Judeo-Christian idea of, of women using scent as a in a witchcrafty kind of way. So it's hard to, to you know, one doesn't really know. I'm curious. We're covering something up, or at least augmenting it, when we when we add scent to our own natural sense. We have all each of us a very strong kind of natural, you know, body scent, body odor. Mm-hmm. How does the connection between kind of our natural odors and adding scent uh, come into this? My dad's Cuban, you know what I mean? So when, and when I go to Cuba, people aren't as deodorized as they are here. Yeah. Just because culturally they don't mind sweat. You know, it's like not a, it's not a smell that we're like, ugh. But in the States, we have a tendency to, to see sweat or, or natural odors as being uh, problematic and, and needed to be covered up. And, you know, there's a whole marketing um, industry behind that yeah. <laughs> belief. But so it really does depend on the culture. But um, historically, certainly bad odor of humans has has been across you know in different cultures associated with poverty hmm. with the working class and so there's actually this document called the satire of the trades from ancient egypt that i learned about thanks to my friend robin price dr robin price who's an e- egyptologist here at la but the satire of the trades have has these little instances where they talk about the different tradespeople, and a lot of them smell really bad and that's part of of the satire like so-and-so smells like rotting fish, you know, or so-and-so smells like corpses or whatever. You see it over and over. So poverty and malodor are strongly linked, typically historically. Um, so it would follow that if you wanted to be perceived as powerful or, or wealthy or something like that, you would want to dissimulate or hide um, perceived malodor in your, in your culture. So This is a weird, I don't know if it's a weird thing to say, but like... Never. I just like the way people smell. Like, I, you know, yeah, like, I have to I'm not, like, this is too TMI, but, like, I'm not a big deodorant wearer. I know that if you get close to me, you can smell my body a little bit. Like, people have interesting smells. And, yeah. yeah, and Dylan, when you're raised, you know, biologically female, and you have to literally deprogram yourself to accept your body smells, you know, in, in all their glory and, and occasional foulness. And, and so... <laughs> I'm glad that you like body odor because actually body odor is not a bad smell. It's just a smell that we've associated things with. Another interesting piece of this that I would love to talk about is we have assembled a pretty wild and mind-bending set of ingredients that we have used to, to augment scent. So I would love to talk a little bit about some of the more interesting places that scent has come from and gets used in perfumery. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the most interesting stuff tends to come from nature. So for instance, ambergris, you know, which is um, (laughs) what their scientists, they call it a coprolith, but what that means is dried poo from a whale. Uh, And what happens is the whale um, is basically terribly constipated and, and the dried poo eventually sort of bursts the whale's you know, um, nether regions and the whale dies. That's the genesis of ambergris and we love it. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's a little weird. Um, musk, you know, comes from the, again, the nether regions of a deer. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's all sorts of bar- bizarre stuff. And the question is always like, how did people figure this out? You know, some guy just fig- found this poo on a beach and said, yum, you know, it's weird. <laughs> or tossed it in a fire or something. I don't know. I always wonder. Saskia tells me that these days, most of the materials that go into fragrances 
do not come from the bowels of a whale or the musk gland of a deer. They are much, much more likely to be synthesized in a lab. You can sort of divide perfume historically into eras. You know, there's there's pre-synthetic and then there's post-synthetic. Pre-synthetic is, is sort of, you know, limited, limited batch, limited quantities, obviously, closely tied to powerful people because they're the people who could afford those limited quantities. Post-synthetics, you get into the golden age of capitalism. You know what I mean? This idea that you can create as much as you want at cheaper and cheaper prices and sell it to more and more people around the world and it becomes a commodity versus a luxury, as it were. You can get anything at Walmart, you know, for $2, you can get a perfume. So, what, you know, what's the picture of scent in, in the U.S. right now? Well, I mean, we're in a time of renaissance, I would say, for fragrance, because all these new accessible tools and, and you know, the Internet, you know, and, and organizations like my own and others, you know, we've it's really at a time where people are paying attention to scent. Also, I think people became very aware of their bodies in COVID, and part of that has to do with with being aware of our senses, including smells. Uh this has been such a fun conversation. This has been just fascinating. I have I have a million more questions and uh, tr- truly just a, a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, you too, Dylan. Thank you for, uh, for being so curious. If you found this conversation interesting and are curious about making your own scent, you should check out one of Saskia's courses. She teaches a, a three-part online class with us and it runs a couple of times a year. So if you go to the courses page on the Atlas Obscura website and you find her class, use the code AMBERGRIS to get 15% off. That's AMBERGRIS, A-M-B-E-R-G-R-I-S, for 15% off and go talk to Saskia. Get to know her and make your own weird whale bowel scent, you know? Get, Get to it. This episode was produced by Abby Peralt. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney, Johanna Mayer. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris. Wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure they are always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. 
Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. 